Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, we're back. It's Tom Verducci and Joe Madden with another episode of the Book of Joe podcast. Of course, it is based on the actual Book of Joe. It's out now and available wherever you buy your books, whether you want the print version or the audio version. You will absolutely love it. Joe, how you doing? I'm good, Tommy. I'm here in Chicago. Uh, we represented yesterday at the Union League. Uh, really nice luncheon. David Haw helped out with the interview on stage, kind of like the fireside chat thing. And we sold over 200 there and the people were great. And then last night I went over to Downers Grove, which was truly incredible. It's a suburb, beautiful area and over 700 there. That, that really blew me away. People were standing in line outside. It was cold. Uh, so it's a very, very humbling uh, moment for all of that, but it was a, a great experience. So, uh, it's always great to get back here to Chicago. A little cold today, but uh, I've enjoyed my stay. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, Joe, when you're out and about and you get reactions from people about the book. And, of course, we had an event at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey right. recently. And it really warms my heart that people are coming to this book who are not necessarily baseball fans or maybe not hardcore baseball fans. I think everybody's pulling something different out of it, whether it's life lessons, uh, whether it's leadership lessons. I've had a lot of feedback from people in the business world about you know how to manage people and how to connect with people. So I, I think it's really cool that yeah a baseball fan is going to love it there's no doubt about it but the audience for this book seems to be really broad very cool yeah that happened again yesterday the whole day both places um it's, it's incredible i mean uh, i'm looking out the window right now been here was here for five years and um i'm just very uh quickly reminded why i love the place so much and a lot of it has to do with the people i mean these folks were bundled up stayed in line came through very brief encounter but god they were so uh appreciative and and the exchange was very warm and sincere so uh Sometimes, you know, we, we, we forget uh, rather too quickly. And I uh, was great to be reminded uh, by the fans of uh, the Cubs and the people of Chicago. It was just a wonderful experience for me on a personal level. Well, a lot to get into in the course of this episode of the Book of Joe podcast. We're going to talk about glue guys for you DIYers out there. We'll explain what that is. And we'll also talk about 
older managers, which I think Joe will be happy to chime in on. And we need to talk about Shohei Otani. There's some great insight from you, Joe, into Shohei Otani and your time managing him. And of course, he is up for the American League MVP award, which will be handed out later tonight, Thursday night, most likely going to Aaron Judge. But we need to talk more about Shohei Otani because I hope people out there do not take for granted what this young man is doing and his talent level and his dedication to this game. We will never see anything like this again, unless, of course, it's Shohei does it again. So, Joe, you know him well. You were the one who really took the reins off him and, as you said, never stand in the way of greatness. You took off some of the governors that were on him where the Angels were trying to protect him physically. He has certainly responded to that by just being a pure baseball player. Give me an insight on what motivates Shohei Otani to be elite at this level. Yeah, he um, he came here for a purpose. He came here to be a two-way baseball player. He, he came here to be the best player in the game. Uh, he's just motiva- motivated to be the best at what he does, and that's both pitching and hitting. Pretty simple. He's a baseball player. There's, there's nothing else, really, I don't think, in his life that distracts him from that. Um, him and Ipe live really close to the ballpark there in Anaheim, and uh, he's there all the time. I mean, whether it's to be... Uh, rehab the bit or just get ready for a game or whatever or just extra work whatever it may be it's just the motivations on another level uh this guy truly does want to be great and he is great already but that's it i mean it's very uncomplicated it is a do simple better uh method or moment he um came here for a reason man and in the beginning of course uh, was not given that opportunity it's as we uh, did take the reins off, as you suggested, it just became, he went from like a little bit, I don't want to say introverted, but he wasn't, you could sense he wasn't as happy as to when he was given the opportunity to really attempt to fulfill his destiny and play both sides of the baseball and play often and not as many days off, et cetera. Uh, and uh, we all worried about guys getting hurt. And you know what happens? Guys get hurt. Uh, bodies get hurt. So it, it just was all of that. Just He needed to be permitted, in a sense, to just let go, go do your thing. And he's responded beautifully. Yeah, of all, I'm listening. There's an, a, an amazing amount of stats and ways to look at the greatness of Shohei Otani. This is just one for me from the 2022 season. He threw more pitches 100 miles an hour or more than any other American League starting pitcher. And he hit more baseballs 100 miles an hour or greater than any designated hitter in baseball. It's just crazy. Now, for all these people out there who are saying, well, Shohei, he should just specialize. Imagine how good he'd be as a starter. Imagine how he'd be good just as a hitter. No, stop. The man came to this country, to Major League Baseball, to do both. And as you, I think, just highlighted there, Joe, he loves being a two-way player. Do not take that away from him. Would you ask Bruce Springsteen to stop writing songs and just play music? Or just play music and don't write the songs? No. Right. This is a guy who's following his heart. So, listen, I don't know, Joe, if you are concerned at all about physically Shohei holding up. But I know what's in his heart, it seems like. This is what he wants to do. And this brings out the best of him, not specializing. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the point right there. I think he does better or will do better by being permitted to do both. I think if you pigeonhole him into one over the other, you're not going to see the same performance. I think he needs the um, uh, the diversion, uh, whether it's going to pitch one day or hit for uh, four days or five days. He needs to be able to park his mind in other areas to really try to, to get the best out of what he does on that particular day, whether it's an offensive player or that's the day that he has to pitch. 
Um, it would really injure him to not be able to, I mean, mentally injure him uh, to not be permitted to do both. So it's one of those cases, man. It's, it's, it's like this conventional wisdom component where you think if we took this away from him, he's going to get better at this. Uh, it's always one of those be careful what you wish for moments. My, my opinion is strongly, and I thought that from the beginning uh, when I first got there, I thought if we permitted him to do both, you're going to see better at both because in the beginning he wasn't. And like I said, it just reflects in his personality, his joy for the day. I can't wait to get there. I am the best player in baseball based on the fact that I'm doing two things, which is what I always wanted to do. So um, if you listen, we just can't you just can't constantly worry about people getting hurt. And that's a part of the daily conversation when it comes to a lot of young players. And um, I, I've always had a hard time with that. There are athletes who get hard driving their car to the ballpark. They could get hurt just walking down the steps. Let them alone. Let them go play. And I think you're going to see a better product. Well said. Now, can I put you on the spot, Joe? Sure. What's ahead for Shohei Otani? Because I know the Angels have come out and said they're not trading him this winter. Well, we know that because the team is up for sale. You're not going to trade Otani, who's one of the great assets of the organization, when the team is on the market. It doesn't make any sense. So that pushes the possible trade window to next July because he would be a free agent at the end of next season. Mm -hmm. So the Angels are on the clock here. They essentially have the first three months of next season to play competitive enough baseball to convince Shohei Otani, besides whatever the contract number is, to remain with the Angels. And listen, it's going to be difficult for anybody to sign Shohei Otani because there are no comps to him, right? right? You just cannot compare him. I mean, basically, when I look at his numbers from 2022, he's actually a compilation of last year's NL Cy Young winner and MVP. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Corbin Burns and Bryce Harper. So, I mean, where the money goes, we'll see. But tell me about Otani and what you think he wants beyond next season because we knew he came here and he immediately ruled out some of the bigger market teams he ruled out the east coast it was important to him to do both as we talked about in terms of pitching and hitting does Shohei Otani who we have not seen play a postseason game yet burn to go to a winning team will he go to a big market team give me a sense of what you think is ahead for Shohei Otani well I think first of all uh, the idea of him being there for a couple three months whatever the beginning of next year is wise in regards to the angels on the angel side I mean, they just got Anderson, the pitcher. You look at their staff, and I, I like these guys a lot. Um, and Perry does dig left-handed pitching, and we they have plenty of them. So um, that's interesting. And who knows what they may do at shortstop. <clears throat> and Renifo can repeat what he did last year. And, of course, David Fletcher, who I love. So I, I think it's wise to hold on to that and see where it goes. Um, and also, while you're doing that, possibly – uh, build up the value of the franchise. I don't know to what extent, but, and again, I don't even know what Artie's intentions are this winter. So that, that would be number one. I think that's wise to hold on and see what occurs after that. If, if in fact it doesn't roll well, I, I think um, I, I know Shohei wants to win. He wants to play winning baseball. Um, what else is there from on an individual level um, to accomplish? He's going to receive his money. He's going to achieve level four, and but he's always been in level five. All he wants to do is win. The difference is, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, is when he first came over, the proximity on the West Coast to Japan was very important to him. I think now that he's uh, understands the culture here better and he's been to the different cities and he's gotten to know more people, I think that opens up the whole uh, continent to him. I do, um, and probably even into Canada. I'm not sure, but 
Um, anyway, the whole league now, I think, is open. Where in the beginning, I don't think it was. The whole league is now open now because the H is um, available in both leagues where it wasn't before. Uh, those are the kind of things that I think there there was some restrictive components that are now no longer factors, I don't think. So uh, he'll want to go to a winner. He'll want to go to a place that he, he's very smart. <clears throat> he'll he want to go to a place that probably, you know, he could uh, highlight or showcase his skills. But the most important overarching component would be he wants the ability or be with a group that he knows can win and win on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I was told that the Angels expected the sale process once Artie Moreno said he, the team would be sold probably anywhere between six to nine months, which probably brings us close to that trade deadline next year. A new owner comes in. Maybe it's a Steve Cohen type who has a ton of money and wants to invest more in Otani and keep him. Or maybe it's a situation like Juan Soto or an organization just sees an immediate ability to rebuild the franchise with multiple players. It'll be fascinating to see. Uh, it's important for the Angels, obviously, to get off to a good start either way next season. But I agree with you on Tyler Anderson. That was a great signing. Love the changes he made with the Dodgers. So we'll see where that goes. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I told you we're going to talk about older managers. What's going on in the game? Joe Madden is going to tell us when we get back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Did you see the Manager of the Year awards handed out this week? Buck Walter and Terry Francona. Maybe not a surprise, but 
You've got Showalter at 66 years old, Francona at 63. Coming off a World Series in which we had Dusty Baker at 73 years old, Rob Thompson at 59 years old, and you had Bob Melvin playing for the National League pennant at 61 years old. You had Brian Snitker last year winning the World Series at 67 years old, and now the Rangers have hired Bruce Bochy at 67 years old. Joe, is the pendulum swinging back to begin to value experience again i like that word over older managers more experienced managers let's go there yeah i, I don't know i just you this year this coming year is going to have a lot to say with that i believe um these guys are really good at their craft every guy you mentioned there um has put in a lot of time uh developing and honing his skills a lot of these guys really go back to the minor leagues as minor league grunts which i really identify with and believe i, I can tell you this much when i'm managing a game and the guy in the other dugout has had a lot of minor league experience, it's obvious. Um, you just got to keep up with more stuff. This goes back even to when I first started, and there's Jimmy Leland in the other dugout. And it's like when you go to that game, you're you're more concerned about what Jimmy Leland's thinking as opposed to just really bearing down on the game. I mean, there's some, there's a, I don't know if it's intimidation, but there's a high respect factor going with all of that. Um, so I, I'm a big proponent of that. And again, it's going to come down to what organizations seek. I'm really happy for their success, Tito and Buck. I congratulate both of them. They're good friends. Uh, I think it's wonderful. And even Brandon Hyde being involved in that. Hyder's a little bit younger than that, but I was so pleased that he got uh, mentioned as much as he had. So, uh, again, it's just going to come down to, I, I, again, I, this year, I think, uh, the way the season um, plays out and and how much uh, responsibility is given to the managers and then how much it's recognized that maybe the their way, it's not just about how you use your bullpen. It's about everything else that you do in the clubhouse uh, conversationally, uh, you know, philosophically, I mean, how you run a camp and, and what do you, what do you perceive to be important and how, how well does your team carry out those fundamentals during the season? And really how do you value the, those fundamentals and um, how important do you think they are to your success? I mean, these, these are the questions that groups have to answer. And I'm telling you, I know Buck really well, and I and I, uh, I and I know Tito. I mean, and I know, of course, I know Boach. I mean, these guys are going to demand all that stuff. So, what do you want? Do you want that, or uh, you want the less experience, where then you may rely on other components or factors that you think will just take care of itself, and not really recognize the importance of that steady hand in the clubhouse? Yeah, you know, Joe. My experience these last few years has been that the the more experienced manager can really impact the postseason oh, yeah. uh, in the smaller sample size when, let's face it, the heat of the moment gets even hotter. And, and I've seen some of the younger managers rely more on the script, so to speak, and, and based on analytics, which is really the safe way to go, especially if you have a very influential front office in terms of how a game is run. So it, just as an example here, I love what Rob Thompson did. I know a lot of people were talking about his lineup and why is Bryce Harper hitting fourth? He should be up there in the first inning, making sure he gets up there, you know, the first time around against the pitcher. But you know, Rob Thompson said it's working. He went to the players. They were happy with the way it was. Chasing these little incremental edges don't always work in the small sample of the postseason. And I think about Aaron Boone, who was very much run by analytics. The Yankees lineup seemed to change every day. I mean, Judge is hitting second, then he's hitting first. Kind of a left is the shortstop, then he's not the shortstop. Clay Holmes can't pitch a third day in a row, and there was some miscommunication there. So, 
you know, sometimes that can create more problems. An experienced manager is just going to go by what he sees. I shouldn't say just go by what he sees, but at least we'll fold that into the decision-making process. So I think these guys can impact the postseason maybe more right. than the regular right. season. And I know, Joe, you had something really interesting. We have this in our book, the Book of Joe podcast, about the better the team is and the more important the games become, the more the analytical people want to get involved. I thought that was fascinating. And maybe the reverse tends to be true, that maybe that's the time you need to rely more on experience. 100%. 100%. It's true. Um, you know, you get to the end of the year and you, you, you've worked so hard and you're playing the same teams again in the playoffs that you played all year. Then all of a sudden there comes a, even more volumes of information to digest. And Truly, I mean, we just we're talking about it. it's a it's a it's a hotter moment. It's a distinct moment. It's the playoffs. Everybody's watching you. You've been trying to get here for years, and it's a it's it is the small sample size. It's a micro. It's not the macro, man. And in that moment, uh, things change rather quickly, and you just can't rely on these large numbers. You definitely need to be more into trends at this particular point. Um, yeah, I've I've always uh, wanted less info and not more info this time of the year. I wanted uh, just a few nuggets for anybody to hold on to because, again, we've played these teams primarily all year. Like If there's a group that you really haven't seen often or there's new uh, people, yeah, everybody wants that intel. But um, if it's a guy you've seen for a bit, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher, um, just remind me. Just give me a nice quick reminder here and then permit the coaches to uh, fill in the blanks when it's necessary. So, yeah, I, I really believe that. I believe uh, when you go into those moments, less is better than more. I believe in those moments that you really have to be nimble, flexible, and rely on what you're seeing to make decisions based on this trend, this, this short term, this micro, as opposed to a larger sample size that will benefit you in November when you want to acquire somebody. All about it. Yeah, and you know, one of the more fascinating cases going on right now when we talk about perhaps the pendulum swinging back is in Houston, right? The the world champion Houston Astros, they don't have a general manager yeah. right now. James Click was let go, or at least he was offered a, a contract that was really designed to turn down just a one-year deal. Jim Crane is taking that organization in a different direction. Of course, Jim Jeff Lunau built that organization heavily on analytics, but it seems now that people like Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Reggie Jackson have a big say in how that team is being run. And Jim Crane listens to them. He's around the clubhouse a lot more. I think Jim Crane saw a team that, yeah, analytics won, but it also got them in trouble with sign stealing. It all began with algorithms from their analytical group about how we can decipher signs and it grew into something far worse. Uh, so he's more in control. And the name I'm hearing right now, who might be the next general manager of the Astros, is Brad Ausmus. He's a guy who told the A's he wasn't coming back to their coaching staff this year. Of course, he's very good friends with both Bagwell and Biggio having played there. Fascinating to see that a team that we thought was on the front lines of the analytical movement now maybe, and I say maybe, going in a more balanced direction. Yeah, and again, I'm all about that too. I think that's wise. Uh, I, I I met Mr. Crane. I just know him conversationally. I know Clicker really well. Uh, James and I worked together in uh, Tampa Bay, and of course, I know Dusty. But uh, it is it's all about balance, and I we don't know exactly what the conversations were like or why it led to that particular moment. Um, although it does appear to me that uh, uh, Mr. Crane is looking, it's just like you're saying, for maybe a more traditional method. In regards to getting this done, uh, utilizing the analytics in the uh, where it really belongs, like I've said before, primarily I believe in the uh, uh, acquisitional area, it's stellar. It, it doesn't make many mistakes. The thing when you talk about Houston's ascension, I think their defense 
really got better. The run prevention got really better. And that is a heavy side of the analytical world where their pitching is so good and their players are normally standing in the right spot. We catch line drives. I mean, see, that's that's really what it comes down to. You, you get the right guys, you, you lose a Correa and here comes Pena. You lose a Springer and here comes McCormick. And and then Alonso goes to left field and he holds that job down well. Uh, Tucker ascends. And of course, Bregman was a great acquisition. Maldonado, not really good offensive player, but goes back there and he's got a PhD in catching and how to handle pitchers. So that there's a lot of old school uh, methods in this. But the reason when you talk about analytically and Lunan, I don't, again, I don't know the process, but what they did there, they were great at run prevention. That's really what they're great at. And then offensively, they got some contact guys, guys that can move the baseball. They had some pop, but they they did. There's a lot of old school, traditional stuff within that, if you really break it down. And I give them a lot of credit. But, you know, from Clicker's perspective, I'm curious to speak to him at some point. Because earlier in the year, we were I was with the Angels yet. We were playing them in Houston. I walked up to him and I said, you know, you guys got the best team in the league. Uh, we're standing behind the uh, the batting cage there. And we talked about that. And uh, James is a really, uh, he's a good guy, man. Uh, we used to have great conversations. I know his, his wife, Ace, wonderful. Um, so I, I'm curious. One of these days I'll get to find out exactly what went on because I, obviously there's always more to it than the, what appears to be on the surface. Yeah, it's. I agree on James Click. He did a great job there. Maybe just the fit is not right for Jim Crane, but I'm sure he will land somewhere and, and do well elsewhere as well. Um, and finally, last point for me on the Astros, Joe, you mentioned there kind of a little blend old school new school but mm-hmm. i think it shows up especially in the postseason it's mm-hmm. remarkable to me that the houston astros have essentially played the equivalent of a 100 win season in the postseason in the last six years their winning percentage of 610 equates to playing at a 100 win pace you're talking about postseason baseball and it was billy bean who famously said hey my stuff doesn't work in the postseason it's the postseason is a crapshoot all our analytics go away because it's a small sample size. And yet the Astros are saying, no, no, wait, we can control a lot of things like putting the ball in play, like trusting our starting pitcher a third time through the lineup, like playing good defense. There's a reason the Astros have played 6-10 baseball in the postseason for six years, mm-hmm. more than 80 games, and it's not because of luck. You've seen that team play, and it was a great call on your part to see it early in the season last year that it was the best team in baseball. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, that's that's a great uh, uh, breakdown of exactly what occurs. Um, so when you're going to build your team, do you, do you build your team for the playoffs? And what we're just talking about, there's tried and true stuff. You got pitchers, you got starting pitchers that could go more deeply in the games, which takes a burden off relief pitchers who've been pitching all year. They're, there's, they're normally fatigued by that time. But if you can carry one more time through the batting order, that makes them all better all season long. I love the the contact component of the whole thing, too, whereas you just can't go up there, home run, walk, uh, strike out. These guys don't like to strike out, and they want to move the baseball. And they know there's, there's different situations. I've talked about this a lot. There's the different buckets about the strikeout. It's not just one size fits all. Uh, run around third, less than two outs, a strikeout really stinks. A run around second base, nobody out of strikeout really stinks. Nobody on and two outs, I'm okay with the strikeout. I mean, there's, there's different reasons or different methods to attack a pitcher, a walk's always good in the sense that you've you've established your strike zone. And normally when you get at the end of the year and you have a balance between your walks and your strikeouts, you're probably hitting to your potentials, which you're capable of doing. You're, you maybe not be a 300 hitter. You might be a solid 255 hitter. But I like to see a balance uh, among all of that. Defense, man. 
Hey, that reminds me of something Dusty Baker told me. Now, a lot of people kind of miscast him as anti-analytics. It's mm-hmm. just because he has so much experience, they, they kind of mm-hmm. overplay that angle. But he said, listen, right. I have my own system of analytics when it comes to hitting. And what he does is he keeps track of when there's a guy at second base, less than two outs, or with nobody out. Does the guy move him over? Runner on third, less than two outs, does he get him in? Runners in scoring position, does he put the ball in play and deliver runners? And he has this little system, this little math system where he has points that he adds and subtracts based on whether the hitter came through or not. It's the first time I heard about this. Dusty was telling me this story in the postseason, and he said there was one guy on his team who came out on the positive side. He said, that's my best clutch hitter, and it was Alex Bregman. I thought that was great that but Dusty Baker had his own way of sort of measuring what it takes to be a clutch hitter. Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same sheet with the Angels even back in the Instructional League in the 1980s, and I gave it to Jeremy Reed. And a couple of years ago, we were, we were implementing it to the point where I was giving out a nice bottle of wine after a, win, a winning game to the guy that had the best point total during the, offensively during the course of that game. It's funny, you wrote, you're talking about that. And I wrote this a couple of days ago, and I don't know if I've ta- shared it with you yet, but experience is, the, experience is your analytical background that's necessary. Always running in the background always uh, permits the recognition of nuance, the ability to adjust on the fly. That's, that's, experience is an analytical too, and nobody recognizes that. Uh, when you have that, it's always running back here. It's always that, or even in the RAM, the part of the random access memory of your head, Um, It's always running. So experience has an analytical component to it that's not given nearly enough credit. Well said. Hey, we need to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about glue guys. Yo Madden will explain. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast, Glue Guys. This time of year, Joe, when teams are on the market looking for players, it seems to be, I think, and I know you do, think especially important. But first, let's define it. What is a glue guy. 
Yeah, I was, I was, I was thinking about, we've talked about this as uh, you're, you're alluding to. Um, first of all, glue guys, they are leaders, aren't they? I mean, glue guys uh, have a, a leadership component to them. That doesn't ha- mean they have to be the star of the team. But when, in fact, he is the star of the team, that makes it even better, but doesn't have to be uh, the glue guys. Uh, it's Part of it is their personality. Um, and they're always working in the background. They're, uh, they, when they walk in the, in the clubhouse, they see things that nobody else recognizes. Somebody's, in a, somebody's down or uh, some, just something off with a particular player, maybe something that occurred in the game the day before that he really needs to bring to this person's attention. Normally something that went awry. Sometimes it could be something that was good, but he's always working uh, in the background. Always, And he has, has this ability to connect with others. And a lot of that's probably great listening skills. But again, it's like this antenna that goes up. You're, you're able to recognize when something's awry with somebody else. Um, it is a, it's another sense. And for those that um, uh, poo-poo that, that, that notion, it's just because you don't have it. Um, it's, a, it's Again, it's ability to recognize when something's um, just awry within the group and it's very difficult to measure. I think you have to be passionate this person's got to be passionate about what he's saying and it's got to be felt. It's, it's almost, um, it's a visceral. He doesn't have to be a visceral component. It doesn't have to be eloquent, but um, it's just something that needs to, that has been felt that needs to be um, given to the rest of the group, either individually, which it can be, or as a group level five guy. Uh, all this guy uh, wants to do is win. He's at that point in his career, and again, it doesn't mean he has to be 33, 34 with a great back of a baseball card. It's just, I'll tell you a guy that I really liked was Jared Walsh with the Angels. Jared just started, made the all-star team last, not this year, but the year before. Walsh, he's got great respect among that group because of the way he communicates and handles difficult moments. As an example, I thought Walsh, he was really good in that clubhouse in Anaheim. Uh, guys like we're talking, we're going to talk about Rizzo and even think David Fletcher, uh, Rossi and Hayward with the with the Cubs, I think Tony Kemp with the A's uh, does a nice job. And Schwerber demonstrated that this year. And with the Phillies and Tommy LaStella as another example, I'm utilizing guys that I've been with. Tommy La, um, incredible, the kind of work he does on a daily basis when he walks in the clubhouse. But these guys recognize, see, feel things that the other group doesn't necessarily pay attention to. I, you can't just be about yourself to be a glue guy. Yeah, my experience is the same, Joe, that to be a glue guy, it takes the power of empathy. Yep. You have to feel for other people and see things from outside of your perspective. Now, if you don't, there's nothing wrong with that. As you know, there, there's a lot of just self-starters who, who need to stay in their own bubble. That's the way they need to operate. Right. Uh, it doesn't make them bad guys. It just means that they need those other people to be the mortar of a team or the glue of a team to bring them together. And you mentioned a couple right there. I think we w- would be remiss if we didn't pay particular attention to Jason Hayward and Anthony Rizzo, mm-hmm. both in the news this week. Of course, the Cubs just say goodbye to, to Jason Hayward. He had one more year left on his contract, but just doesn't fit in where they are right now. He'll always be remembered, I think, with the Cubs, not just for that Game 7 meeting during the rain delay, but for being a great teammate, which is a very powerful legacy that will be remembered beyond whatever his numbers were with the Cubs. And then Rizzo signing back with the New York Yankees. The Yankees understood this is a very important piece of their puzzle. Left-handed hitter, for sure. Very good 
good defender at first base? Yes. But he's the glue of that team. And I'll give you an example. Their hitting coach, Dylan Lawson, told me stories about how Anthony really connected with Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge is... He's the heart and soul of the team because he's such a good player. He, he's such a respected teammate. But he's not really a vocal guy around others. He is very diligent about what he does. I mean, you want him on your team. But it takes a guy like Rizzo to bring out the best in him. And Dylan Lawson was telling me Anthony would go up to him before a game and say, a hey, big guy, if you don't get your two hits and if one of them's not a home run, we ain't winning today. And Judge would be able to laugh about it because then right. Anthony has that way about him to say the right thing uh, and put a smile on your face and not feel like you're being challenged by what he is saying. So empathy, sense of humor, the ability to connect with others, so important. So if I'm a general manager and I'm scouring a free agent market, you better be darn sure there's a box there for me to check on what else am I getting from this player besides the numbers. You know, you're right. I mean, uh, the part of it is he just broke through that crustiness of the Yankees and permitted them to relax. Uh, that's what I see from Anthony. And that's why he was so pertinent to their to the to the how well they played this year and how deeply that they got. I totally believe that. <clears throat> and you just said something that I was going to bring up. I, I don't understand why <clears throat> more guys don't pay attention to acquiring guys just for that reason. I think it's so important. My first when uh, Theo told me we got David Ross, I was in my. 60, um, 67 Galaxy parked. I pulled over on the side of the road. Conversation with David Ross. And after, I didn't know David. After five minutes, I knew this is exactly what we needed with the Cubs to really get to the next level. Um, when I was at the Rays in 2007 into eight offseason, here came uh, Cliff Lloyd, Eric Hinsky, and Troy Percival. That, I mean, Hinsky and, and Floyd, part-time players, really pertinent. But then Percy was the closer until he got hurt. But um, these are the guys that put you over the top. These are the guys that in, within the clubhouse, no, we don't do that here. Or yes, let's, let's do that here. And he kind of blesses it and permits everybody else to relax and just move on. Sense of humor is important, man. Sense of humor, not taking yourself too seriously is really important to all of us. And I know that that's what Anthony brought to that group. And again, uh, for all the groups out there, the, if you're putting your, your team together, don't ever overlook that. Everybody wants, uh, and we all want the best of everything. You want the best hitting coach, the best pitching coach, the best shortstop, whatever, uh, the best backup catcher. But don't don't overlook that this is a position that really can add up to more wins, and it's really it's really beneficial after some tough losses or after a little when you're in a bad streak. The glue guy, you can get out front and and say something or bring guys together, just take them out to dinner, whatever. That really helps you uh, uh, regain your momentum, regain your thought process, get you back to where you had been. I'm all about these guys. Yeah, and let's, uh, again, talk about Jason Hayward because, I uh, again, we talk about that meeting during the rain delay game seven of the World Series. But as you yeah. know, Joe, you had conversations with Jason during that series explaining why he wasn't in the starting lineup. Right. And you talk about as being a situation where it would be easy to go into that woe is me you know that shell and kind of check out and this is a guy not starting 
is the one who's getting the team together to remind them, hey, guys, we're the better team here. We got here for a reason. We're the best team. We're going to win. Let's not lose sight of that. I mean, you talk about being able to see outside of whatever your own issues are. I mean, listen, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it, Joe, but I think that will go down as a classic example of a guy being a glue guy and seeing what's best for the team and not himself. Yeah, we had some really hard conversations that um, that postseason and it goes back to one of the other things we've talked about. I've always said, if I tell you the truth, you might not like me for a week or two, but if I lie to you, you're going to hate me forever. Uh, so we had some tough conversations. I think it's a big part of that particular job as a manager, as a coach and major league coach. You have to have some difficult conversations and you have to be straight up. And we were uh, in our conversations with uh, Jay, uh, Jay Hayward and I. And eventually, like you're right, it led, leads to this moment. He could have, he could have folded up. Uh, why I'm, you know, screw these guys. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even playing. Why should I uh, even attempt to help in any way? Even though I recognize um, at this particular juncture, something needs to be said. And I, and he really felt within his sinew. I, I got this. I know exactly what needs to be said right now, and I'm going to do it. Uh, that's bold. That takes, that takes some courage. There's a fearlessness about that. That is true leadership to me. And of course, uh, I'm on a, we're on a book signing tour right now and I'm getting all these accolades and people are very nice, but I don't even know to what extent or how much percentage lies in the fact that, that Jay Ward had this wherewithal and this thought process and this leadership ability to call him in that room. And all of a sudden everything changed. Uh, and I really respect that a lot. So yeah, uh, God bless the glue guys, man. They can make a huge difference in your organization. Yeah, and it won't surprise anybody to hear that Jason Hayward is is still a glue guy, mm-hmm. even though he's no longer with the Cubs. He's doing a lot in terms of providing opportunities and financial resources for youngsters in Chicago, especially underserved families, to give them opportunities to play the game of baseball. So he is, again, seeing outside of himself and contributing to this game on a macro scale. So kudos to Jason Hayward. So this is something, Joe, I think we can always explore. I'd like to make it a regular point of this podcast where we talk about glue guys, maybe get some glue guys on here to explain how it is what they do. So I think I think it's something as you being a three-time manager of the year understand that these guys are important to to what you do so how about we make this a kind of a regular gig love it i've, uh, I've already written down some names i'm going to try to get some uh, phone calls or texts out there to try to uh, grab some of these dudes come on the show with us i've reached out to anthony and anthony assured me that he's going to eventually do this in, in the near future so i got to get back to him i haven't had a chance to congratulate him yet on being a yankee again so I think Anthony would be a, a perfect first guy to, to attempt to have on our show. Love it. And by the way, who would be the glue guy of the E Street Band? Mm. It's, you know, you think about being in rock and roll and having a band that stays together as long as they have. I mean, back in the day, I mean, was it Max Weinberg? Was it, I mean, Clarence Clemens would put a smile on anybody's face. I'm not yeah. sure he was the most vocal guy, but everybody loved being around him. And then you got the boss himself. I mean, as you said, when your star is the glue guy, that's the yeah. best of all worlds. Yeah, I mean, of course, um, uh, Bruce has got to be right there. But I, I thought the same thing. I thought Max and I thought um, uh, Clarence. I really did when, when you originally asked that question. But then I went to the drummer. The drummer isn't at the heartbeat of the whole group. I've gotten to know Max. Max has now got an uh, uh, honorary degree from Lafayette. He came in uh, with my buddy, Willie Ford, with the B Street Band. 
And they came and did a gig at Lafayette at Zate, my fraternity house, after the 2016 World Series. I went back there for the Lehigh game. And Max came and played. He was, was up on the, on the stage there with Willie and his group. And then at that time, uh, we let it be known. He wanted to go to Lafayette College his whole time growing up. And then eventually, I think he became a, a commencement speaker and, um, and then now a, a graduate uh, of Lafayette College. So I'm going for Max, just based on being a leper, too. I, I love that. I love the fact that he's the, the heartbeat of the group. I love that. We'll have to get uh, one of those E Street guys on here one of these days and talk about. Maybe get Max. We'll get Max. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to accommodate a leopard. <laughs> he's a Jersey guy, right? Right. I, I'll, I'll get in touch. I got. I got a good connection. I'll get in touch with Max. I would love to hear that. Like the similarities between being in a band, yeah, and being in a baseball team. That kind of teamwork and what being a glue guy means. I, I can't wait. We'll devote an entire podcast episode to that i'm in so go get max we'll get him on here i'm in i'm in i'm gonna start it today right after we hang up that's awesome always a pleasure joe you got something to leave us with as we get out of here i do thank you always a pleasure man um jay and i went to uh, lambertville down in new hope new hope pennsylvania lambertville's across the bridge um in uh, jersey pennsylvania beautiful magnificent area and it was our anniversary stopped in this uh, cool little shop and uh it's called zinc really wonderful and i picked up this little uh, leather bound book for my own personal notes. I'm doing a lot of writing in here, but there's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, who is a big part of the book, uh, Wayne Dyer's uh, Wisdom of the Ages. He has uh, like three or four pages devoted to him, but I thought this was great and that's why I got it. He who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. He who works with his hands and his head and his heart is an artist. And that was from St. Francis of Assisi. I love that. Boom. Beautiful. There you go. It's malicious. <laughs> See you next time. All right, brother. Thanks. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.